Welcome to the 44th episode of the ClassCast podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tibbins. Today, I'll be speaking with Matt Bass, candidate for Clark County Board of Supervisors. Matt is born and bred Clark County resident who is now getting involved in local politics. And I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk with him a little bit, both about his candidacy and maybe about his feelings about the community and the schools in the area. Um, As some of the listeners know, I live in Clark County. I teach in Loudoun County. And so as a person who grew up in neither place, I have sort of an outside perspective. And so this is both an opportunity for locals to hear a little bit more about what's going on in local politics, but maybe also an opportunity for people like me to learn a little bit more about what the community schools look like or feel like from the perspective of someone who's been here for, for a bit longer. So Matt, thank you very much for taking the time to speak. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's a pleasure to join you. So, you know, let's start with, with your education. You know, obviously it's an education podcast, but you're running not specifically for an education role in the community. As I said, you were you were raised here in Clark County. How would you describe your education, you know, going to public schools or whatever schools you went to in the area, say up through college? What was your formal education experience like? Sure. So uh, as you alluded to, I was, you know, uh, been raised in Clark County for my entire life. I grew up down by the river, uh, moved to town when I was eight years old. Like many kids in the area, I started off at Berryville Primary School. Uh, from there, I went to D.G. Cooley Elementary School. Um, there were two elementary schools, st- still are, Cooley and Boyce. Uh, I went to Cooley, uh, which is located here in Berryville. And then I went to Johnson Williams, which is still where everybody goes for middle school. And then on to Clark County High School after that. So uh, as you said, I am a public uh, school student through and through. Uh, don't regret a single moment of it. Uh, be happy to get into you know that more later on. Okay, great. And then after after high school, did you go to college? What did you do after after graduating from Clark County? I did. I went to the University of Virginia, uh, where I quickly felt very out of place for about the first uh, I don't know, call it semester or two, uh, maybe creeping into part of the second year before I really kind of found my niche. It was very difficult, or I guess a lot more difficult than I uh, initially imagined coming from a small town, uh, going to, you know, a large university setting uh, in Charlottesville. Uh, It was very disconcerting for me. I was, I think, one of only two people in my graduating class who went to UVA, um, so really didn't know anybody. Uh, You know, made a few friends uh, fairly quickly, but they were sort of into the frat scene and they all came from the Northern Virginia area uh, and had, you know, many people who they knew, siblings, uh, relatives, friends they graduated with and, and just the Northern Virginia world uh, of, you know, Loudoun, Fairfax, uh, Arlington, all of those counties uh, over the mountain, as we say, uh, is just such a totally different world than little old Clark County. Um, it was very difficult for me to adjust. Uh, I struggled academically. Uh, there were times for sure when I felt like you know, maybe just college wasn't for me or at least UVA wasn't for me and, and almost found myself coming home. Certainly came home on the weekends plenty, um, but eventually adjusted uh, and found uh, sort of my niche in studies with anthropology and archaeology, uh, which is what I focused on and, and majored in. Uh, coming out of UVA and you know, took some very interesting classes. Uh, be happy to get in a little later, I know, into sort of what those meant, grand scheme of things, big picture. 
but certainly enjoyed, you know, the classes when I was there, had some great professors, and of course, came out of UVA with no practical skills, uh, almost no idea what I wanted to do. Because my dad had been a longtime employee with the Smithsonian, uh, working first at the American History Museum and then at the Museum of the Native American Indian, uh, he had some connections with the Smithsonian crowd, and I was able to get an uh, unpaid internship at the uh, Museum of Natural History in the Arctic Studies Center, which was uh, very interesting stuff, a lot of Viking stuff and Inuit, uh, Native American culture in the far north uh, around the Arctic Circle, stuff I found you know, very interesting you know, historically and intellectually, but I kept being asked, where are you going for your doctorate? And at that point in time, uh, it just, I had no, no inkling of further schooling, let alone, you know, going somewhere to get a doctorate degree. So um, that, you know, sort of petered out on its own when I, when I eventually ran out of money, uh, because of course it wasn't an unpaid internship. And so I wound up cutting grass uh, down here at the old Virginia National Golf Course, which is now defunct. Um, and, you know, making anywhere from, I don't know, 10 to $13 an hour, still the best job I've ever had, cutting grass, playing a lot of golf, uh, hanging out with the boys in the evening, uh, you know, early, early, mid to early 20s, good times uh, around town. But when the writing was on the wall and Virginia National started to crumble around us, I figured, hey, you know, I've got to do something else with my life. And I, I want to stay here. You know, I, at that point I was back, I was back from college. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be able to make a living and live uh, where my friends and family lived here in Clark County. And so a longtime family friend was uh, J. Michael Hobart, a longtime attorney here in town. And I thought to myself, well, he seems to have made a pretty good living for himself. And, you know, I don't know anything about the law, but, you know, hey, I went to UVA. So, can't be that bad for me, right? So I uh, hooked myself up with a, another un, unpaid internship because I guess that's just how the times were back in, I don't know, I think we're in about 2008 now or so. So, you know, sort of started started the recession, uh, not exactly a whole lot of money going around at that point in time. So I graduated uh, Clark County High School in 2002, graduated college in 06 and you know, then I'm back and cutting grass for, for a little bit. And now it's about 2008, uh, linked up with Mike to, to do some legal interning. Um, and at the same time, I should mention, I was also substitute teaching uh, with Clark County Public Schools. I was a substitute teacher, mostly at the high school, uh, but a little bit at the middle school. And part of the reason for that was I thought, hey, I might like to go into teaching. You made a very good decision not doing that. That's <laughs> well, you know, and and I had look, I had some great, great teachers uh, all throughout my time at Clark County Public Schools. Too many to even you know begin to name um, who were very powerful influences over me. You know, who, who encouraged some who of whom encouraged me to uh, you know write things like uh, songs and poetry and stories, all of which I have. Uh, done over the years. And even I had one English teacher say, hey, you know what, you'd make a pretty good lawyer. And I just, that couldn't have been funnier to me at the time. That was probably in sophomore year or something like that. But lo and behold, he was right. But in any case, 
you know, here I am substitute teaching and it was awkward uh, being back in uh, my old high school, you know, not that far removed temporarily from graduating there, still had a number of the same instructors there time and and younger siblings of some of my friends yeah, that's, that's and, the tough one when you when you have your, your <laughs> friends younger siblings in class like i've been teaching long enough that i now have former students who come back um some actually as you know full-time teachers but certainly plenty of subs and that they always say that's the hardest part they're like you know you show up you everybody wants to mess with the sub but when that yeah. when that kid sees you on the weekends they're like that uh, you never know how that's gonna go I think, oh, that's exactly <laughs> and you know it's there you are standing around with uh, you know, some, some of these younger, younger kids who at the, you know, at this time they're seniors and here I am in my you know, sort of mid twenties, no idea what I'm going to do. And, you know, being asked, well, what are you doing back here? Didn't you go to UVA? I'm like, what's, why are you substitute teaching? And, you know, there's no real great answer for that at that point <laughs> other, other than that. Hey, it, it pays the bills and believe it or not, kid, uh, when you get out of high school, paying the bills is pretty important. So between the mishmash of working at the golf course uh, interning Mike's law office and substitute teaching. You know, I actually got by, lived in a place with a couple buddies downtown, uh, and was having a good time. But, but you know, it's kind of funny when you're in your twenties. You're like, look, if I could only make you know X amount, I'll be good. And then, time you hit thirty, it's like, well, that's got to be double that. And then once you have kids, it's like, eh, basically, there's never going to be enough money to make. So, <laughs> yeah. um, as you well know. Yeah. But. Um, so I found myself interning for Mike for about a little more than a year or so. Um, he encouraged me to give law school a crack. So I did. Um, I admittedly did not study or prep nearly hard enough for the LSAT. Uh, and that probably led me to my school of, of choice, which ended up being the University of the District of Columbia Law School. And so there I was in D.C. I lived uh, of course, it forced me basically to move out of Berryville. My girlfriend at the time, who then became my wife later, uh, Kelby, she was at JMU at the time. And, Go Dukes. Uh, yeah, that's right. Go <laughs> Dukes, my, my sort of second Virginia school, right? Like, uh, was was JMU stand for? I think it's just missed UVA, right? Oh, um, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I tell you what, you know, just real quick, real quick. There's some of this we're going to have to do again over a beer sometime. So I'm from Pennsylvania in a town that's a little bit bigger than Berryville, but a little bit smaller than Winchester. Right. But in Pennsylvania, they do district schools. So there's one high school, one middle school, a bunch of elementary schools. So I'm very comfortable with the county setup we have here. I went to JMU, had a very similar experience, like almost <laughs> transferred out. Uh, after, you know, freshman year, I was like, yeah, I'm doing okay, but I just, I don't know about this. And then settled in, had a great time. I loved it. And then, you know, I started teaching right after college, but what's funny is during college in the summers, I actually, that was my first, like, you know, real, jo- it was summer job, but it was my first like real job was landscaping. Like I spent multiple mm-hmm. summers cutting grass and yeah. I thought if I could have made a little bit more money doing that, I might've just done that forever. So it's probably good that they didn't pay me more than right. they did, or I might've stuck with it. Um, but no, and then, and then, you know, 
teaching high school, I ended up coaching the golf team at Stonebridge in Ashburn. And then nice. I worked, I've worked at probably two, three different golf courses in my life. So we've got a lot, you know, and I, I minored yeah. in anthropology as well. So <laughs> no you know, there's, there's, there's a, I didn't know, I, by the way, for anyone listening, I had no idea any of those things were in common, but um, yeah, yeah. So the, the, just, the just missed you. That's funny. It's actually, I've, ne- I've literally never heard that, but I'm going to start using that because now teaching where I do, you know, I basically yeah. almost every kid I teach is going to apply to UVA, JMU, and Virginia Tech, and then fill in a couple. Of, you know, it's going to be those three plus a few others. Right. So, you know, for them getting into JMU is like a really big deal. I'm like, man, I was out of state. I had no idea. You know, I was one of two kids I think that went there, but I was like, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you guys know about JMU, but I know that Kelby had multiple roommates over the years who were all from like the Pennsylvania area, and somehow they all ended up at JMU. Uh, at the same time, and look, to be in fairness, you know, JMU is great school, and uh, they, man, they have gotten so much more developed uh, over the last decade or so. Yeah, that's what I try um, to tell my students. I say, you know, if, if we did it again right now, I don't know if I would get in, which is a good thing. You know, it means that the right. value of my degree has increased. You know, I invested well, so to speak, but right. yeah, I, I don't know if I'd get in again. And then, you know, I almost, instead of teaching, I almost went to law school, except I was. T- Pretty, pretty well set that I didn't, I wanted to go to law school. And I didn't want to be a lawyer and I didn't see any way that I'd ever pay that off if right. I didn't practice. And so here I am teaching. I, I that was probably a bad decision. Uh, so, I mean, I, look, I, you know, opening up another can of worms, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'll be paying back student loans for the next 15 years. Um, yeah. And I've already, yeah. already been paying on them for a decade. So hey, what's another 15, right? That's, that's right. You know, it's just, it goes on and on the more, the longer you go. So with this, there's something you said in there, thinking about when you came out of UVA, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but exiting law school, you probably felt like you had more practical skills. Like, I mean, that's that's a specific training, right? That's more specific. Going to a large liberal arts university and studying something like anthropology, which is, I mean, Mm -hmm. amazing. Like I majored in English and I minored in anthropology. Mm -hmm. Good for your brain, good for your understanding of the world. Not a lot of stuff you're going to do with it, though, right? I'm, I think I was, nope. I think I was one class, one or two classes short of a second major, and mm-hmm. an advisor tried to get me to stay, and I was like, why would I pay for another semester to turn <laughs> the minor into a major that no one's going to ever pay me for? Like, don't worry, I love it. I, it, you know, I just, it's not, it's a bad investment of my my money at that point. Um, but you said, you know, when you left UVA, you felt like you didn't leave a lot of practical skills. So, right. what is what does that mean? And then I don't know, I don't want to speak for you. I'm guessing exiting law school feels a little different because that is a specific training, but like, what, what do you, what do you mean by practical skills in terms of the education you got there? Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, as you just you know mentioned, uh, great for the brain, right? I mean, that's what the lib- a lot of the liberal arts stuff is. And I easily could have done English or history, you know, how precisely I settled on anthropology and archaeology. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'll, I, I like to call, you know, sort of history, just more of the more human history uh, than book history in a way. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, um, you know, interesting classes about Amazonian peoples and uh, who knows what else, magic rituals in the, in the Ukraine, uh, which is where my, some <laughs> of my dad's family is from way back in the day. Um, you know, so, of course, interesting stuff to read, uh, you know, I guess if uh, the, the sort of traditional liberal arts education teaches you anything, it's to read, comprehend, and write. Um, and not that those are invaluable skills, but I mean, you talk about 
uh, how to apply those to the job market. And I, I have yet to find a solid answer. I mean, I'm sure there are outside academia. I mean, you go into academia, obviously that's by and large what you do, but you know, what else, how else are you going to apply those and what types of jobs? And particularly if you're coming back to a small town uh, that's blue collar where, you know, folks are, are, you know, working class and are used to getting dirty and working with their hands. And I mean, I, you know, throughout high school, in addition to working at a golf course and then college, uh, where I also worked at a country club running carts down at UVA, I would come back in the summers and I cut grass at the graveyard up by the what's now Martin's. Uh, and I uh, pulled up septic filters uh, for a little small outfit called Cloverleaf Environmental, you know, hacking through uh, the fields with machetes and getting bit by mosquitoes and stung by bees and getting poison ivy all over. You know, it's good times. Um, but, but, you know, those are the kinds of jobs that are around here uh, by and large. And that there isn't much room for someone who can break down a, uh, a book on a remote Amazonian tribe uh, and describe, you know, their ritual sacrifices and what that means uh, vis-a-vis their dreams. Uh, yeah. It's just, it, you know, that it's interesting. That's an interesting connection. You're right. Geographically, like a lot, a lot's determined by that because, you know, when I've, when I talk to students that I'm teaching and they're saying like what they're going to major in things like that. And one of my number one piece of advice is if you're going to college, you double major or you major and get a minor or two, just you're right. paying the same amount. You might as well get as many qualifications as you can. Yeah. But one of the things, you know, if you're not going to do something very specific in like a STEM field, if you're not going to do something in engineering or chemistry, right. like something that has sort of an immediate application, then I tell them that, you know, something to, to consider is that you take a more broad business or like and mm-hmm. say an English major or minor, right. just because being good at reading and writing is not necessarily going to get you a job, but it advances you in whatever job you have assuming that it has that communications component. But when you're in a small town where most of the work is agricultural and blue collar, then the applications for it are limited. Now, if you don't mind going to move, if you don't mind moving to DC or maybe even moving, you know, just, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to the East, Mm -hmm. you have, you have more options, but if you're tied to a geography or if, if the goal is to live, you know, say where you grew up or in a place in a smaller, a smaller town, you know, it's limited. And that's why I think that sometimes, you know, I even saw this where I grew up, which again, I said, is is, it's Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. It's a little bit bigger than Mm -hmm. Berryville, a little bit smaller than Winchester. Um, But you get a little bit of what they call it, you know, the brain drain, which I think is, is, is a mildly offensive term. Like, I don't, I don't like that because it implies that people are hanging around don't have, you know, the brain. And I, I don't, I don't like the language of it, but I do think you see that, that people get advanced degrees or get degrees in certain things and they can't come home because then they can't, do that job. Right. And right. so, and, I, and I've heard that from people in, I've actually heard that from people since uh, moving here to Berryville, I've lived here eight years and I've actually mm-hmm. talked to neighbors, you know, who have kids who've been through the school system. And I've heard them talk about how there's, there's some dispute over what they want the high school to really do and how good they want it to be. Not that anyone doesn't want it to be good, but I, I've literally heard people say, well, you know, we don't want to make it too good because if we send mm-hmm. all the kids off to UVA, or if we send them to Virginia Tech and they study anything other than agricultural sciences, <laughs> they don't come home. They'll you know? never and, and come I, back. And I've, yeah, and I've heard that. And, and I think it's a valid concern, you know, from the mm-hmm. parents' perspective, from the local community. You know, you don't want to lose your, lose your town, lose your people. At the same time, you probably want to provide them the opportunity to do what they want, you know. And so that's, that's like a tough divide. 
how do you feel you've settled back into that, right? Like you came home, you sort of, you did some random jobs, you, you filled, right. some, you figured out. So now you're, I believe you're a practicing attorney, right? I am. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, so for you thinking about sort of straddling the, you know, the, the world of where you went to school and the education you got and where you grew up, where you live, this place you love, you're running for office, like clearly, you know, you're tied to this place and that's great. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, that distinction? Like, I mean, have you seen that growing up here that people leave and don't come back? Like, wh- how, how are we supposed to handle that as a community? Yeah, I mean, I think I could certainly just look at my own class, basically, and say uh, that, I, you know, a number of my friends, uh, almost all of whom work, you know, mostly blue collar jobs, construction, uh, farming, um, you know, uh, electrical work, plumbing, you know, that those kinds of jobs, they're around here, you know, they have been able to, you know, some only a handful of them went to college at all. And even fewer graduated with a four year degree. And, you know, they have come back and have managed to do pretty much exclusively, you know, hands on getting dirty type jobs. And that's not surprising. Um, you know, again, those are the types of jobs that, that pretty much dominate, you know, this job market around here. There just isn't much else unless you, you, know, you can find a little bit more in Winchester. And as you say, you know, you, if you're willing to go over the mountain, which, which most of us just aren't really at any cost, although I admit that my main office is in Leesburg, um, but, and you know, I, that's not that bad in the grand scheme. Yeah, hey, things, but, hey, I, I um, drive to Ashburn strictly for the pay, buddy. If, if I could, right. I, I live, I live, you know, three, four blocks away from the high school. Trust me, if I could walk yeah. to work, I would, but you know, yeah. um, so, you yeah, know, well, but, but I do understand the, you know, that dynamic where, where people try to avoid it. And I, I understand why. Um, yeah. And I can tell you that the, of the, of the folks in my class who went, who I know went to, you know, four year, at least four year of university, and then even went on to get more advanced degrees after that. None of that, almost none of them, I I really can't even think of one off the top of my head who who has come back to live, you know, here. Um, Maybe they live over the mountain, uh, you know, maybe they're in in Winchester, but uh, you're talking about very few people. So it's, it's absolutely true that I think that you know, getting one of those types of, of higher education, liberal arts degrees is just not, if that's what you're going to try to pursue, it's going to be hard. You're going to be hard pressed to come back to Clark County uh, and live and make a living. So perhaps that will be subject to change as, uh, you know, we, we adjust to this sort of new norm of working from home uh, and, and all that kind of business model. And maybe, maybe that will change, but I don't think you can necessarily count on that. And I also don't think that that's going to change the fact that a majority of the jobs around here do not require, you know, four-year degrees. Um, and a lot of them are, uh, very sustainable. Um, you know, I think that this is sort of getting a a little bit far afield maybe and, and into another realm of focus here, but, you know, if we were able to identify those kids who just do not appear to be geared towards, you know, a liberal arts education at a four-year university, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not for everybody. If we identify them earlier and see if they have interests in other things like, uh, you know, working with their hands, 
you know, whether that's you're talking about construction or, uh, you know, some sort of engineering or anything like that. So one of the trades, uh, as it were, auto mechanics um, and that kind of stuff, you know, some I've known plenty of classmates and friends of mine who, you know, came out of high school pretty much knowing that they weren't going to go to college. They maybe dabbled in college for a year or two and did just wasn't working out. Uh, they came back. They got jobs. They became skilled laborers. And here they are with no student debt, uh, you know, uh, making good money, uh, enough to raise and support a family here in Clark County. And that's all they could have ever asked for. Uh, and that was, you know, part of our culture, uh, perhaps a little less so here in Clark County, but certainly nationally is that, no, you have to go to college if you ever want to succeed. That's just not true here in Clark County. Uh, you ask, I don't know, call it six or seven and 10 people that you walk into in the street, whether they think that's true. And I, I bet the answer will be no. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I, you know, I guess, you know, I, I, full disclosure, probably no one, very few people have ever loved college more than me, but I also <laughs> very much agree that like, it's not for everyone and you shouldn't feel like you have to go. Like the biggest mistake I ever made was leaving college. Like I should have just, stuck <laughs> I, I wanted to be a professor and my best professor right. talked me out of it because he mm-hmm. talked, he's like, you're not going to make any money until you're at least in your early thirties. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you're going to be, and I was like, ah, you know, I really thought it through. I was like starting a family and doing some of these things is more important to me. You know? So mm-hmm. I, he, he did talk me out of it, but yeah, I mean, you know, what is it? Uh, I think it's something like, you know, only right now, ages 25 to 65, something like that. Uh, only about, you know, a third of Americans have a four-year college degree. The number's going mm-hmm. up, right? But right. not as fast as people think it is because a lot of people don't graduate. The average student loan debt, I think is something like $35,000 for a person who goes to school. And there's no guarantee that that person finished, you right. know, and, and it's, um, and then, you know, 62, this is, this is my favorite one. 62% of people with a college degree have a job unrelated to what they studied in school, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the, in, in, a, in a very real way, going to college is kind of signaling, right? It says I'm the kind yeah. of person that I can read, I can write, I can mm-hmm. manage my time. I can, mm-hmm. you know, and all that's important and you do get better at all those things. Right. However, the reality is that the stuff that you study, you know, for the vast majority of people who finish school, they don't actually work in the field. Like you're not right. an anthropologist, although anthropology would set up well for law, just the amount of research and the reading, you know, like I, I use my degree, but I'm a high school sure. English teacher and I majored in yeah. English. Right. Like, so of course, right. but most, most people don't. And, and so I, I, I think that's really fair. Now, what you just said, though, about the idea of like identifying the, the, the kids, like that's that's tricky. And I don't want to get into that because that starts to be like, you know, how do you identify them? Do they choose it? Do their parents choose it? Right. Like, you know, sure. I, and I, I don't think it's our place as as teachers or public servants or just as the adults in the community. I don't think it's our job to tell kids what they have to do when they grow up. Right. I agree. Not bad to give them advice, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it is our job to provide them with the options and opportunities. And so that's more what I was talking about is yeah. not necessarily saying identify so that you can then push them down a particular channel, but merely saying, Hey, maybe this kid, you know, is a wizard with their hands and just doesn't like, you know, English, no offense. Um, yeah, but, no. Uh, and doesn't want to you know, learn what a proverb <laughs> is. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, if you just, if you merely identify that and to me, you know, I think there are degrees of separation that probably happen by the time kids are getting through middle school, right? Like at that point in time, you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this is just based off my own experience. You know, you kind of know who the kids who are going to get the A's in the class are uh, and they're going to get the A's in most of the classes. 
Uh, and then you know who the kids who are sort of the middle of the road ones are. And then you know who the kids who are just not, you know, they are clearly not geared toward uh, the academic program. And again, uh, there being nothing wrong with that, if you were to simply provide them with other options that might, you know, entertain them, um, maybe you could turn them, turn that experience into a much more productive one. I'm not saying separate them and, you know, throw them on the on a bus and, and send them somewhere else. No, um, but just within the available uh, curriculum, you know, of a just a middle school, of a high school, yeah. have these options, and it's a it's almost a throwback to like the stories you hear about our parents' generation with shop class and you know home ec and stuff like that. And yeah, we you know, we were right on the cusp and had a little bit of that stuff, but. Um, what happened to that stuff? It would be my question. Yeah. Like, well, and, you why know, did and, we shift away from it? It's they sort of, you still have some of it. And I think, you know, just observation opinion that you have people generally at the state level, some of it's federal, most of it's at the state level who hear the complaints or concerns from parents or from employers. And so essentially, you know, if you're a legislator, all you can do is legislate, you know, like when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And right. so you start passing laws saying you have to take this class, you have to take this, you have to take four Englishes, three sciences or four sciences now, you know, like, and it's, it's not that it's with good intentions. The problem is what you essentially do is you say, this is the kind of stuff that a lot of people say is valuable. And then you handcuff everybody to it. And I would argue that, that more choice is good. I mean, maybe in, in the terms of the broad sense of school choice, like, I mean, that that's a little tricky in how you do it well, but I just think even within the school, kids should have more choice. Like you should take some kind of, it doesn't have to be like a literature class. You should take a literacy class. You should always right. be working on reading and writing. You should always be working on math. But mm -hmm. if you knock out two of those classes, I would argue you could do whatever the hell you want for the rest of the day <laughs> because you should be learning. And as long as you can do math and you can read and write, then all the rest of it, you could teach yourself essentially, right? So mm -hmm. the fact that we sort of corner kids into a lot of these other classes or take up a lot of time, I, 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 think, is, I think is problematic. Now, thinking about specifically in, say, in Clark County High School, but there are thousands of schools like this across the country, right? This is a small mm -hmm. school, I think. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked lately. There's probably only, what, maybe 800 kids in the high school? Yeah, that's about right. That's Something like about that. Right. Yep. And yep. so, I mean, it's it's a small school. Like where I teach, I, I don't know what we are this year, probably 1,500. I think where mm -hmm. I graduated from high school was maybe 12 or 1,300. Sure. Um, you know, 800, 800, give or take kids is is a small building. And so one of the ways that that limits you is while you want to provide all these opportunities, you know, you got to, you got to fund that. Like my high school had a, had a carport in the back where they could pull in, like mm -hmm. teachers got their oil changed. Like if you right. got, if you had a little <laughs> fender bender, there would be kids who'd be like, it's free. We, we can't promise how good it'll be, but they'd hammer out the dents and, you yeah. know, they learned a lot and it, you know, it was cool, but it also means that you have to pay the teacher to do that. You have to maintain mm -hmm. the materials and the rest. The bigger a school gets in theory, the more you should have to fund it, but it's also harder. It gets unwieldy. Like if you think about some of the big schools in like Fairfax and stuff like it's like a college campus, you know, it's really right, hard yeah. to run that well and give kids individual attention mm -hmm. in, in a small community like this being, being practical. Like, you know, we always say, I, I mean, you're running for office. I don't want to speak for you, but I've never right. heard a politician say they don't want good schools. Right. Right. The, the question is how do you define good school and what do you do? Like, I would love to hear, both the school here and schools in neighboring counties providing more of those opportunities, like to have a car, you know, an, an auto mechanic class. Right. Um, from what I understand, the ag program here is pretty good. Like mm -hmm. you know, make it sure is. kids yeah. have access to that. Make sure, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have a welding class that doesn't require a kid to go to a community college at night to do it. Sure. Things like that. But it's also hard to run that. 
mm-hmm. like how do you like you went to high school here so you have a little better sense both of the community but also what's possible sort of in that school do you right. think some of those opportunities are things that can reasonably be done or is the only way to do that through a partnership with a community college or a neighboring school like do we have to share the load or can we do that on our own right. I actually do think it can be done. And, and, you know, I think that the best way to do it, because I know that, you know, that theory of education, in other words, the let's focus on providing opportunities for kids to get into the trades, because again, you know, a kid who gets out at high school at 18 years old uh, and goes into a trade, you know, becomes advanced by the time they're in their early twenties, they're going to be making good money. They're not going to have any student debt. They're going to be able to, you know, start saving money uh, and putting away for a family. Uh, and that is, you know, there's in a lot of ways that's far more stable uh, than, than someone who goes to the four year college. And, and especially coming from around here. I mean, I, I had student loans all throughout college, all throughout uh, law school. And that's, again, something I'll be paying back, you know, for, for 25 years or until uh, folks in Washington decide that they're bankrupting an entire generation. Um, I don't count on that, <laughs> but, uh, in, in any case, uh, you know, I just think there's so much to be gained from that. And I know I'm not the only person who thinks that way. I'm certainly not the only politician who thinks that way. And I think the best way to do that would be to get our community together and have a forum and say, Hey, what can we do? And I could shoot from the hip and say, well, Hey, wouldn't, you know, some of your local craftsmen and tradesmen like to have a high school, uh, you know, apprentice or two to help them out at the shop, uh, you know, for a little bit for a couple hours a day uh, so they can do their bookkeeping or billing or whatever it is they need to do prepping for, you know, tomorrow's job or something like that. Uh, And maybe that's a way to engage. But, you know, Clark County has so many resources, not only in, you know, the trades, but also in, in things like the arts and crafts, uh, which can turn into careers or can lead to, uh, you know, different career options, craftsmen, musicians, all that kind of stuff that uh, if we can just engage our, our community at large a little bit more in that conversation, you know, I think we might be able to work towards a plausible answer that does not involve simply putting them on a bus to Dallas J. Howard. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there's a there's somewhat of a stigma with that, or at least there was uh, when I was in school. And I it was never really clear why that was, but it, but it always, oh, they're going to, you know, the local community college or, or what have you to, to do this kind of a class. And so, of course, in some sense, there's some disengagement with uh, the high school itself. Um, so, yeah, being able to bring all that under the same umbrella would certainly seem like a, a, a good ideal to me. I'm a, you know, I, I'm not experienced in education enough to know the Uh, nuts and bolts of exactly how to make that happen. But I think it starts with ensuring that, you know, our schools have adequate funding. Uh, You know, our school system has adequate funding to be able to explore such opportunities. Um, And then, you know, once we eventually return to normal times here, uh, in engaging the community to say, hey, is this something that as a community for our kids, uh, we are interested in? If it is, what can we do collectively to make it happen? You know, I could for just in my own little world, see, for example, the idea, and we do this, uh, my law firm, we take on unpaid, you know, high school students as t- at times from as interns. And uh, I sure was not motivated uh, enough in high school to do that kind of stuff. I, I wanted to work and make a little money at the golf course. And uh, between that and, and sports and, and playing music, 
uh, on the side. There wasn't much time for, you know, sort of unpaid internships. But I think that that kind of engagement uh, with your other community members, your other professionals throughout the community could reap big dividends down the road for us. I don't know that that's, you know, the entire answer, uh, but I can't see the harm in exploring it. No, you know, and, and I really like it. I was, I was just thinking as you're saying this, that two two episodes of this podcast I've done, in fact, the most popular um, interview episode, you know, and, and early on, like all these were interviews, I've started doing some solo, but a guy named Tim Gregory, who lives uh, right outside of Winchester, he teaches mm-hmm. at Heritage in Leesburg. Fantastic, fantastic shop teacher. And he preferred, like, he's supposed to be a technology educator, you know, right. that he's like, he's like, I'm shop teacher. He's got like an Instagram yeah. account, Tim, the shop teacher, yeah. this guy he's great. And I was getting people like from literally all over the country contacting me about how they loved his ideas and all this kind of stuff. And he was big on this idea that like, we need to continue providing those opportunities and it's hard to do, but it's not that hard to do if you don't try to make kids feel like they have to take five AP classes in the, you know, sort of the quote unquote core academic subjects. So that episode, I think really hit home for a lot of people. And I heard a lot of people really liking his ideas about some of the stuff you just talked about, but then also, you know, I talked to a guy who who's big on classical education, but he means classical Mm -hmm. education. Like, you know, everybody's sitting and think like, you know, boarding, boarding school style, not that you have to go away, but everybody's reading classic literature and doing all this stuff. And one of the things I talked to him about, I think off the air was the idea that, you know, he has this vision of the past where everybody went to these like awesome schools and you sat down in these big stone buildings. I'm like, that's only like (laughs) the richest people. And I don't the guy's a CEO of like a, of a, you know, a serious testing company. And so I don't want to, I don't want to tell him that he's, he's misguided in it, but I was trying to remind him, I was just like, there's a lot of people used to do apprenticeships, you know, and that yep. used to be the, the primary mode of education for a lot of people. And I think you make an interesting point, like in a community like this, where we do have a great sort of arts community, we've got, you know, music and, and art facilities, we've got all kinds of agriculture and, and mm-hmm. welding, you know, I mean, there's, yeah. maybe that, maybe that's the way to be able to offer the opportunity and not have to pay a ton for it is to right. create what's essentially, you know, the, the, I forget what they call it. It's like the work, I'm going to use the term work release, but that's prison, not school. Uh, maybe uh, similar. Well, maybe some, similar. Some, kids would, yeah. some kids would probably agree with that. I for, I, yeah, I forget. It's, it's like the work co-op or I forget what they call right. it. It's basically work release. Right. But, you yeah. know, what, what would stop us from essentially saying instead of, you know, you're going to go and work for four hours at the, you know, the grocery store. Why couldn't right. you go and intern and, and do a job with someone? And then you could even switch by semester. Right. And if sure. people in the community would support it, they essentially get free labor. And, mm-hmm. and the school gets the opportunity to give these programs and it's essentially neutral to the taxpayer. Like that, yeah. that, that really might not be a bad way to do it. Um, if you yeah, I mean, the, 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 lawyer on board. Me, the lawyer in me is now thinking out loud about potential liability issues with that, but uh, perhaps that could be overcome through a special type of program uh, whereby, you know, insurance is going to be purchased that, that will cover, you know, essentially sort of uh, on the job, yeah. incidents and uh, yeah. you know i have a feeling there wouldn't be that many but it would be a concern yeah for some um, of the jobs sure. you'd have to be careful about it but right. it, again i mean it's just it's given a small town small population but with an interest to do things like that you got to start thinking outside the box about how you can present it and maybe right. it's just a matter of using the community resources um mm-hmm. you know and so thinking about community you know it, it's something I, I think you said this before we started recording and i think about this a lot that schools for better or worse you know and, and we can argue that maybe in the long run maybe this isn't a good thing for society overall but i think mm-hmm. the way the way a lot of communities in this country work right now 
schools are one of the things that bind a community, right? Right. That's what keeps people to get like, how do you get to know your neighbors? I don't, maybe you say hi to them outside, but if you have kids anywhere in the ballpark, the same age, you start seeing those people at stuff. You all root for the same football team. You do this kind of thing. So outside of even the education piece, you know, schools are important in building and maintaining a sense of community thinking about your, I mean, you're, you're a, you're a Berryville, you're a Clark County guy. Like you're, you are a community member, right. And, and entrenched when you think about how the school functions in that capacity, do you think there's things that we could do with the school? Not, not educationally, just thinking about like community events, like you got, we got the parades, we got this kind of stuff. You're running for office at the County level. Mm -hmm. Do you like, are there ways that we can leverage the schools better to better support the community. Because I think one of people's concerns is as there's been a little more development, people are mm-hmm. worried that they're losing some of that sense of community and small town feel. And I don't know if that's true, but I do think when you have a small high school that everybody rallies around, that is, that is a, a, a point of congregation. Like, is that yeah. something that is important to you or that we could use? Yeah. Well, I wish I could speak to like sort of the current state of the high school. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how, you know, close these classes are. The school's, you know, probably almost twice the size as it was when I was there, uh, you know, getting on, uh, what, 20 years ago, uh, more uh, even. So quite some time ago. Um, and, and it was even smaller then, obviously. So, you know, I, I can't speak to how close knit sort of the current you know, high school, even middle school, elementary school communities are, but I, speaking to my own experience, which I, I have to think is still relevant, because in reality, you know, even though the school is now twice, the high school is still now twice the size, and uh, there are certainly more people in town and, and more coming, um, it's still small. I mean, there's no, there's comparatively, you know, even in its own bubble, it's small. And that's what a lot of people like about it. So speaking to my own experience, I mean, you know, as early as, I don't know, elementary school. I mean, we all, Friday night was football games, which they used to play down at Johnson Williams. Uh, it, in the winter, it was the basketball games at the, at the high school, uh, now the old high school. But I mean, we used to, my friends and I, when we were out, you know, on the playground at recess, we'd be pretending that we were guys named Josh Kerhobert, who happened to be Mike Hobert's son, uh, Steve Sipe and Patrick Bartlett. Uh, Chris Myers, Dan Broy, we just, you know, pretend that we were them, you know, playing for the Eagles. Uh, this was an elementary school, you know, and then we get to Johnson Williams and, uh, you know, we're these, at that time, you know, these guys are winning like, uh, you know, district championships and it was, it was such a cool environment. And that's just the sports, you know, side of it, which is, is primarily, you know, my experience. I, I couldn't wait to, you know, put on the, the Cougars uniform and play basketball at the middle school. I uh, couldn't wait to put on the Eagles jersey uh, and, and play baseball and golf, which is what I played in high school. Um, and it was just such a – it was a it was what I expected, but better than I expected in a lot of ways. But also I didn't appreciate it until I was gone, if any of that makes sense. Um, what I mean by that, it was, it was a great rush in the moment. You know, certainly some of my best memories – of high school are, you know, the big games, the big crowds, you know, the cheers, you know, everybody knows your name. They see you on the street, Hey, great game the other night, all that kind of stuff. You know, that's, uh, you know, irreplaceable um, and hard to replicate this day and age, I think uh, for a lot of uh, our youth. 
So that was very, a very special experience as it was happening. Um, and then, you know, that is amplified by things like the homecoming parade uh, and stuff like that. And it, it seems to me like just sort of my in retrospective uh, memory of it maybe is that those things used to be more frequent. They used to be more well attended. Maybe that was you know, skewed by the perception of youth. I don't know. Having young kids, you know, mine are, are two, just about two and, and four, you know, they'll, they'll be involved in that community here shortly, but they're not there yet. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm eager to see, you know, sort of what that community is like as I re-engage with it uh, at a different level. Whether, to speak to your question, whether there's more that can be done, I think the short answer uh, right now is I don't know because as much as I support you know, the teams and, and go to the football games, take the kids to the football games now and see my old classmates who you know, now have kids of their own and all that's great. Um, you know, and we, and we, I know the coach, coaches still, and uh, some of them are, are kids that I played sports with um, or, you know, were assistant coaches on teams when I was there. So I know those guys uh, and they are certainly, you know, better entrenched in, in what the current vibe of the, high school scene is and then the high school community scene is and even the middle school scene is. So, uh, you know, I, I should probably ask them, Hey, what do you guys think uh, could be done to, 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 to make us a little bit more close knit. And, but I, I don't know that we have a problem with that. Um, so I, it might be creating sort of an issue where there is none, so to yeah. speak. But no, you um, know, I, I just, I sort of, I sort of ask it because, you know, working in a school now, but now mm-hmm. working in a school where I live 45 minutes away from it. Like I right. see what kids think the school is in the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I have a better sense of what the school actually is in the community. But I also know that people who have no contact with the school can sometimes forget that it's there until right. some kid did something stupid or they made too much noise or whatever else, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think in terms of, of trying to secure, say those community partnerships, like you're talking about for internships or, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a, if it's a funding issue, anything like that, the more contact that people have, the more likely they are to support because right. they feel connected to it. And right. when, when a school is not of, of, you know, a focal point or, or at least a visual sort of constant presence in the community, then sometimes it's harder to get people on board with those kinds of things because they can forget that it's there. And so it's not necessarily you have to do more or less. And like I said, I'm, I'm in the same deal. My, my Our kids are basically the same age. I got a, mm-hmm. a just turned two and my son's four. And so, you know, we're about to get into it. But right now my perceptions are very different because I didn't grow up here. My kids aren't in it yet. So mm-hmm. I just sort of catch these little glimpses. And if I wasn't right. a teacher, I probably wouldn't even be paying the, the little bit of attention that I do, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's always a way to sort of maintain that sense of community. And it, it certainly makes it easier for, for funding or for community purposes when, when the school is at the center of some of these things. Right. Um, well, let me just, let me just say that one of my favorite times of year is always about this time of year uh, when the homecoming parade does happen and you have all the local businesses, uh, you know, deck all their stuff out and there's go Eagles, you know, written in orange and blue on the windows and, and banners flying. And, um, you know, that, I just love that time. You know, they're, I don't know if they still do this ritual, but we used to, you know, ride in the float. Of course I was on the sports teams and stuff. So we'd ride on the floats, uh, you know, up main street and, and finish up at the high school and there'd be a big old bonfire that night. Uh, and then, you know, the next day is, is the game and then, you know, you got your dance and all that kind of stuff. And it was just a very felt like a very communal experience. 
and, and I, I hope it still is for, for kids these days. I, you know, I, I, at some level, I kind of find it hard to relate to kids these days. And I think that's kind of why I, uh, and I say kids, I mean, high school age kids. Um, it's because uh, we're getting in, old. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in theory, I guess I'll be able to relate a little bit better as my kids, kids age, but at least I hope so. Um, but you know, that's part of the reason I, I decided not to become a teacher is, is even though I was only, I don't know, call it you know, five or six years removed from high school at the time that I went back to sub, it just, it couldn't have been more different with kids just already looking down at their phones and, texting and and you know it's just a different world than the one i left um i didn't even have a cell phone until my uh, sophomore year in college not that yeah I, fr- I got my first that, freshman but... year yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah that was, that's so. we're, we're like we're like saddling two worlds in terms of how how some of that felt um yeah, yeah no and and you know having kids growing up i think i think we'll reintroduce some of the stuff but right yeah i, I mean, just I look I, just think... I look forward to that i really yeah. do i you know i'm, I'm really eager to and, and it's unfortunate that you know COVID happened when it did and the way it did because Sadie was getting ready. I don't know about your kids, but Sadie was getting ready to go into the pre-K program. Yep, yep. My son Will was going to do that. Yep. Yep. And she was so psyched to get in there. And oh, yeah. uh, Will, Will was like, I get to ride a school bus. Like it was, it, <laughs> yeah, we, same, we had, same, we had a right? sad talk every morning for two weeks and we had to tell him he yeah. wasn't going to get to ride the school bus for at least another year. I know, man. It's just, it's <laughs> it kind of devastated me. And like, I, you know, I was a, I was a coolie kid, so I didn't go to Boyce, but you know, I was going to root for the Cardinals and maybe get some Boyce Cardinals gear and, uh, you know, wear, wear it with school pride. That's always been a big thing for me. Like um, the irony being that like, I, I'm a, I follow UVA sports and like, yeah, I've got some UVA gear, but I'm not like a diehard UVA fan. I was thrilled when they won the basketball championship, uh, you know, last year or two years ago, and then won the baseball championship a couple of years before that. Like that was, that was great. Uh, but I'm not a diehard UVA fan. I think it speaks to my, you know, connectivity with that community. I never felt connected to Charlottesville, to UVA necessarily. Like, sure, I support them. I love sports. I like, I like the idea of supporting, you know, where you went, your your local things. But nothing will ever compare to me to the idea of supporting, you know, the Eagles um, and, and rooting them on. And I'll, you know, wear my Eagles gear with with pride around town uh, because I, I still feel that you know, level of connectivity, even though now I'm, you know, close to two decades removed from it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and, and it's a good place to do it too. Cause you know, in, in a community this size, you can have all the storefronts. I mean, one, there is a downtown, you know, right. and you have a story, like I think about where I work in Ashburn. I think about friends who work in Fairfax County or in closer to Washington, DC. And you have so many high schools so close together with overlapping, mm-hmm. you know, sort of boundaries that, right. you know, very few businesses, unless they, you know, their kids went to the school or something, they don't put anything up because they're, they're catering to three different high school communities in their business, yep. you know, here where it's, it's all one, you really do get that sort of unifying effect, which is, which is really nice, but maybe isn't easy to duplicate in, in bigger, bigger places and things like that. Um, right. Now. So I got, I got two things. One, I'm going to sort of toss you something open-ended because you know, you're sure. running for office. And then I told you we'll end with um, some books and some movies. We've been talking for a yep. little while. And so mm-hmm. um, a lot of this is focused on community and education, which is sort of what I do in the podcast. But mm-hmm. you're, you're running for office, I assume. I don't know. I assume it's first time running for office. That's right. I know you, you're, well, you're filling a vacancy now, right? Yeah, I mean, I did run for town council uh, for Ward 3, which is my ward, in 2016. Uh, lost a close election to Erica Gibson, uh, which in, in retrospect was one of the, probably the best things that ever happened to me because, uh, A, uh, 
you know, had, at that point in time, my wife was pregnant with Sadie, uh, our oldest. And after, you know, I clearly had no idea what I was getting into. Who does at that point in time? <laughs> yeah. um, but to, to try to imagine now having to do that in addition to my job, in addition to being a first time parent is, is almost unfathomable to me. So, you know, and, and she would still probably call me a little bit crazy for, for doing this run, but uh, you're correct. I was uh, appointed uh, to fill Mary Daniels seat. Mary uh, was a local lawyer practicing around this area who I knew a little bit professionally, um, you know, not, not very well. Uh, but well enough. And, and we crossed paths, of course, you know, around town and uh, had a little bit of engagement when I did run for town council in 2016. And, and to be honest, you know, I, I don't know that had this opportunity not arisen that I it would have immediately come onto my radar that this is something I have to do. But, you know, I was approached by several people who said, hey, we think you'd be a good fit here. Um, why don't you give it a shot? And so I threw my name in the hat. Uh, and along with you know, three other very well-qualified candidates, any of whom I'm, I'm certain would have, have served very well uh, in my capacity. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to be appointed by the board, uh, and I've really found that it's been a great experience. There's little doubt in my mind that one of the silver linings for me personally about this whole pandemic mess is that it's made it easier for me to transition into my role as supervisor. It has provided the flexibility to work from home, to attend my committee meetings during the week, uh, you know, to attend digitally when I need to, by Zoom, by phone, uh, all things that just were not, you know, even really remotely on my radar, you know, as, as little as nine months ago. And then the world changed and, uh, you know, our business slowed down a little bit, uh, not, not, tremendously, uh, but sort of enough for me to, to gain a little bit of traction uh, with the supervisor role, uh, be, become involved, uh, you know, learn the, learn the ground uh, strokes, essentially. And I, I should mention, by the way, that I'd been on the Berryville Area Development Authority uh, for four years before that. So I already knew sort of I had taken the planning class that's put on by the Virginia Association of Counties and become a certified planning commissioner. So I, I was already attuned to planning of it. I, I became familiar with town uh, and county staff. And that is a lot of what local politics is. It's just, it's community planning. It's meeting short-term needs, but it's also creating long-term goals. Um, it is balancing budgets. It's uh, making sure that we have, you know, adequate funding for things like schools, like fire and EMS, like our sheriff's department, and the important services that without which we would just not be the community that we are. So, to, to answer your question in a very long-winded, politician-like way, uh, yes, um, uh, I, I am running for office. No, it's not my first time. Uh, it does, in, in some sense, feel like first time because it's the first time in sort of this larger arena and stage, um, you know, at the county level as opposed to the town level. But nevertheless, the same principles apply. Right. So I, I don't want to. I don't. I don't mean to throw you like a a curveball or anything, but if you, it, well, it's probably not a curveball, but if you had to prioritize and, and, you know, don't, don't speak to say the, the folks of the podcast is education, but that that's not the right. purpose of this question. If you had to say like your top goal or top two goals, long-term for Clark County, short-term, mm -hmm. there's plenty of things we got to think about. There's plenty of right. issues facing every community. Right. But sure. if, if you, if you are elected 
mm-hmm. and you stay on the stay on the board. Uh, what what are you thinking in terms of taking the long view? Like, what do you think would be important to to try to do or start doing, lay the groundwork for over say the next ten or twenty years? Like, think long term. Right. What where do you see the community going mm-hmm. in in an ideal sense? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, a lot of community planning. Uh, it involves sort of looking forward in that 10 to 20 year range. Uh, we are very fortunate uh, right now at this moment in time to have had folks like the ones who came before me, Mary Daniel, Mike Hobart, um, names like Pete Dunning uh, before, before and during that time period, John Stalen, all of whom were, were savvy smart community planners, as well as some of, you know, the current board members, uh, Dave Weiss, Bev McKay, um, chief among them, who have been engaged in that community planning process for many years. Uh, They've sat on the planning commission, they've served on the board and in various roles on committees and such. Um, And the, right now, I think we have uh, such a solid, and I, I don't think I exaggerate when I say this, one of the paramount relationships between a town and a county uh, that is the town of Berryville and and the county of Clark. Uh, It it is one of the top relationships and and a a relationship to aspire to at at the statewide level, if not at the national level. And, you know, I, when I went to this uh, certified planning commissioner class that's put on by folks who come out of tech uh, and of course uh, I went to it in Northern Virginia. And so you got folks, I don't know, from as far south as and west as like Shenandoah County. And then, of course, you got a lot of your northern Virginia folks and they say, oh, you're from Clark County. Well, that's cool because, you know, you guys really do it right up there. And it's true. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of cooperation between town and county. And the two sort of driving factors, I think, that we're going to see over the next, call it 10 to 20 years as our kids grow up here are one the what I call the build out, the maximization of where these existing plans, uh, and for those who are unfamiliar with this concept, the idea of what's called a comprehensive plan. These are community plans uh, that are state mandated and every community has to have one. And they, they do things like set broad stroke, long-term goals for community planning. Uh, and then they have their various component plans like the mountain plan, the, the recreation plan, uh, so they get more specific and then, you know, even diving down into further that, then you go to your actual parks and rec for it. And of course they have their own plan for what they want to do with the park uh, more specifically, another soccer field, another softball field, et cetera. Um, so all these plans are broken down into very fine components by folks who really spend a tremendous amount of time and effort, mostly uh, either they're paid you know, very little uh, for serving on these committees or they just do it out of the you know, good of their heart. Uh, and they put a tremendous amount of time and energy into thinking about how are we going to utilize our resources? How are we going to uh, you know, make the best use of what we have, not only in this moment in time, but also moving forward? That's what planning is all about. Uh, that is a vast majority of what uh, I think serving uh, as a board member is all about. And so what we're going to see, I think, here is we have such a solid foundation uh, based on the plans that we do have that were put together by these great community planners and thinkers uh, that really are the generation that preceded us. I certainly hope when I say us that um, folks like you and, and some of my other contemporaries and former classmates and friends will 
you know, get more involved, continue to become an interested and involved in community planning because it is important and you do have a say in it. Uh, and the, I have found the town and county staff uh, to be very bright, capable folks who are dedicated and you know, some would even say uh, perhaps un- underpaid and overworked. And, uh, of course, that would be criticized by others who, who think that our, our county just isn't doing enough, but I, I would uh, encourage them to become involved and really get to know what is done uh, on a daily basis. And I think they will be uh, impressed. And if they're not, they're missing the point. But what we're going to see is build out within our existing boundaries. That does not mean expanding out into the county. It does not mean pop-up housing developments. What it means is like the developments you see going up next to Martin's, across from Martin's right now behind the graveyard. Those plans, most people don't know, have been in the works for 20 plus years. Yeah, I love, um, I love, like I've lived here for eight years. Yeah. I, it is one of my favorite things when I hear people complaining, you know, in like Facebook yeah. community groups. And I'm right. like, look, I know as soon as I open my mouth, somebody's be like, you've only lived here for whatever. I'm like, eight years is a, at least a decent chunk of time. Right. And it I'm is. like, and I know that that has been on the books for a long time. Yeah. So if you want to at first say, oh, I've lived here forever and then turn around and complain about it. Yeah. You have no one to blame but yourself for that detachment. Like, I, I, will, you know. I, will, I will tell you that, that by and large, the folks who tend to complain about that stuff and look, you know, they're within their right to complain for sure. You know, oh, yeah, of nobody, course. nobody likes the idea of bulldozers tearing up, you know, what's basically your backyard. Just shouldn't act like um, you're blindsided either. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I tend to find that those are folks who have been here for, for shorter periods of time and that the ones who have been here longer, you know, either know or, you know, knew of and now remember that, oh, yeah, those plans were supposed to be developed before the recession hit and everything got put on hold. And now here they come back because the economy is, in fact, coming back in some degree. So and then, of course, you know, the pandemic hits and everything goes to hell. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, we, we're going to see these build outs of, of sort of what I call the final phases uh, that mostly has to do with Berryville. Uh, there are some other uh, areas, Waterloo, uh, and then out uh, in Dinosaur Land area, um, Double Tollgate, you know, throughout the county. We're not going to see, not on my watch, uh, and I don't think on the watch of anybody who currently serves on the board or, or would even be interested in it, we're not going to see, you know, rampant expansion or growth into the county. None of us want that. Um, but the stark reality, I think, that we face is that Excuse me. As we have an influx of more people, because of course these houses are going to be filled with people, um, hopefully, uh, <laughs> and people with kids, uh, and and my hope is younger families. Because not that there's anything you know wrong, but we, we are an aging population here in Berryville and Clark County. It would be nice to have younger families with kids hey, hey. Uh, and. and come back and, and invest yeah. in their community. And, you know, just, just real quick, like when I moved into the community, you know, I looked into the schools and all this and I saw, okay, they just built a new high school. I think the school, right. the new high school is, I think maybe, maybe a year old, maybe not even when I moved in and I'm like, okay, well they build it. And I'm looking at the size and I'm like, I don't think they build it big enough. I'm like, I know you're not <laughs> filling it now, but you got to build it for the future. And then over the last few years, the, the school population has actually been slightly declining. <laughs> and I'm right. like, I'm like, all right, well, I mean, I, I may have misjudged the rate of growth right. on that, but you know, every time a neighbor's house goes up for sale, I'm like, all right, we're going to get somebody for my kids to play with. And I right. can't, we keep getting retired couples. And I'm like, damn it. Come yeah. on. <laughs> you know? yeah, I mean, I mean, but look, I, we'll I think see. that I mean, shift it's... is coming, you know, with new yeah, housing, it's just going to come. I do too. And, and again, this is, I hate to, keep saying the word pandemic uh, because we've all had enough of that. But, you know, I think 
that, if anything, has sort of woken people up with, hey, it's not such a bad idea to move out into the country where, hey, you have a little bit less contact with people. You're a little bit more removed. Uh, Clark County has done uh, just such a tremendous job and all the credit in the world to our fire EMS and uh, first responders out there who you know do this day in and day out and are exposed to this stuff. And to see, you know, the counts that we have, we just unfortunately had our first fatality uh, in the last week, but man, we haven't, you know, knock on wood, um, perhaps it's coming, but we haven't even hit 100 total cases yet uh, over the last, you know, whatever it is, nine months. Yeah, Uh, that's so impressive when compared to, you know, just everywhere else, basically. Um, And my hope is it stays that way. And look, you know, people are going to come. Um, And, you know, there are plans to expand, you know, the town by if you look at the projections of the numbers, you know, we're right around hover around 4000 plus at this moment in time. I think the projections moving forward over the next decade plus are going to see us creep closer to 6000. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You see a lot of empty storefronts downtown uh, and you, you might ask yourself why. And I think the short answer is people aren't here to spend their money. Um, Now, some of that again, has turned around a little bit as people have become more insular as a community. And we're, we're a little bit more reticent to travel out and go to Winchester and go to over the mountain. Um, and, and that's great. I love shopping downtown. We eat downtown all the time. Um, you know, we like going down to the coffee shop and the farmer's market, and then walking around the little shops and, and maybe we'll buy a, a few things or a toy for the kids or something like that. You know, that's my ideal of what Berryville and Clark County are, is a community that is self-sustaining and self-supporting. Do we need a few more people, particularly probably younger people uh, who are not as inclined to maybe go to Target, uh, up the, even though it's so tempting up the road, uh, or order from Amazon and might be more interested in going to the farmer's market and then going down to Modern Mercantile, uh, you know, and, and then going out to lunch at the grill or something like that? Yeah. I mean, that's the short answer to me is get our younger people with families engaged and involved. And how do you do that? You can do it through the schools. You can do it through that sense of community. The idea that everything we have is right here. And as we build out, as we maximize our growth potential, not only in Berryville, you know, but at the county writ large, I I think we have the potential to become that. Are we there right now at this moment in time? I think the answer is no. And the empty storefronts downtown will tell you that it doesn't any, you've been here for eight years. How many businesses have you seen come and go through that? Just the downtown stretch right here. They can't sustain. It's too many. Well, and and I, my wife and I have this talk all the time, you know, she's a dance teacher. She now, she runs her own company, but she also works uh, at, at Blue Ridge studio for the arts in town, you know, teaches some classes there and has been getting more involved in it. And she always says, you know, you know, I'd love to open a shop or, you know, someday run my own studio or something like that. And I say, you know, and she's like, Every time she, you know, we drive by and she's like, oh, look, look, you know, hey, there's that opening. I'm like, no, 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 because yeah. you, you need either a slightly, not big, right. a slightly bigger population. Slow growth, I think, is the key. Or you need to find a way to attract tourism. And that is right. easier said than done, though we yes, do have is. some cool things going on in the area. And so right. you can't you can't put, you know, you can't put any big bets on a sudden influx of tourists when you're right. not gonna, you know, do some major, you know, construction project to build something new. We have cool stuff that brings people in, but right. that's that's you're not gonna finance a, a county budget on that. And so right. you know, you really do need a slightly larger population to take the pressure yeah. off some of those existing things. It's that's I just think that's the balance point because I think you hear a lot of people 
who, if you're on the developer side or you own some land, you just want to go, go, go because you see the money in it. And I think a lot of other people want to hit the pause button and make everything freeze. And personal opinion, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you. I mm-hmm. personally think in a community like this, this wouldn't necessarily be the answer everywhere, but in a community like Clark County, you know, a slow measured growth is probably the right thing because you're going to see better support for your businesses. Your schools are going to do better. Mm-hmm. You know, you, a growth you can manage. No right. growth is not realistic and fast right. growth is not something that's going to make people happy. So that's exactly uh, right. And that's, you know, the balance is the key that you hit. And I, I, one of the things, you know, I think that's, that's very tempting for folks, especially this day and age of very reactive uh, politics in general is you say the word growth and it's, oh my God, that, you know, he wants to turn Clark County into Loudoun County. No, you know, look around, you know, re- recognize what we have, recognize that we are going to need essentially more money. How do you get more money? Well, you get a bigger tax base with more people moving into the community, paying taxes, uh, hopefully spending money in the community. Uh, yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah, um, you need, and you need not, businesses. I mean, businesses yeah, are where you, you make you your money. Businesses pay yeah. more for services than they receive, yep. but businesses don't stay alive if people don't patronize them. So that's you need exactly the population right. to support the business so that the business yeah. can turn around and support the community. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 not an easy sell, though, to maybe somebody who's never say done that not I've not I haven't taken a planning course but if you've never right. had that conversation and looked into it that's that's not an easy thing to sell to someone to you have to talk through that chain of events but I, yeah. I think especially in a very small community that's that's probably the only way you can do these things responsibly is right. you got you got to think about how how all these pieces balance and there's sort of a, yeah. a community homeostasis in play that I, I don't you know I don't I don't know how you do it but hey good good luck <laughs> well yeah I, I mean I certainly appreciate that but I and like I said I, I think that that we can give all the credit to the folks that came, you know, before, right before our generation, they have put us in a great place to succeed. Uh, you know, literally they have set the the tracks down. It's just for us to make sure that we don't absolutely, you know, go off the rails and then, and wreck the train, so to speak. So that is, you know, being engaged as my current role as supervisor with the current members on the board, a lot of whom, uh, you know, all, all of whom I should say have been here for, for a long time, you know, I, I like to see myself as the next generation coming up. And, and we need folks, again, like you who are engaged in the community. Uh, there are a few others of us, uh, Willie Steinmetz, who ran for office uh, back in 2016 when I did, and a few others who have interest in this kind of stuff. Uh, it's going to be incumbent on us to, you know, educate ourselves as to our history uh, of, you know, planning and, and, and know where we're going and how we're going to get there. Uh, and then, you know, to, to manage this thing, you know, responsibly, as you said, responsibility is the key. Um, and so that's something that I feel very strongly about. The, the bottom line for me is I want this place to be the place it was for my kids when I was growing up here. Fortunately, we have the tools to do that. They are right there at our fingertips. Uh, and I really look forward to guiding that through and, and having continuity on the board, I think is going to be important because if, if you just keep getting new folks in there, you know, every four years, it's not impossible, but it's going to be tougher to keep that continuity, to keep that same train just chugging along. Um, and, and we have it, you know, in a good place right now. And it's something I'm feeling very positive about. It is why, uh, you know, I did decide to get back in and run this time around. And, and having done so and getting back in, getting back engaged with the process has really opened my eyes to where we are, where we're going. Um, and that's why I don't regret a moment of it. 
I love it. I love it. And that's great. You know, you get momentum in a good way and you want to hang on to it and, and, and do what you can. Um, so I got one, one question left and this is, this is the softball. This is the easy one. Just mm-hmm. something for fun. As we wrap up here, yeah. a couple of movies or a couple of books that you would recommend. It could be related to your job, to entertainment, to educate anything in the world that you think people who listen to this should take a little time to watch or read. What would you <laughs> recommend? And Hey, and, and seriously, people have gotten like very serious with like professional stuff. And then right. I get like a list of like sweet baseball movies. Like there is no wrong yeah, answer. Yeah. What do you think people should check out? Well, let, before I get into that, I would be remiss if I didn't wrap this up uh, by, by saying that one of these days we'll have to talk more about the uh, sort of the, the woe of secondary education because my brother just finally admitted this. He's my twin brother, by the way. Um, so he's 37 like me. Uh, he just admitted this to me for the first time the other day. He said, you know what? You know, my degrees didn't get me anywhere. And he's got two masters and a doctorate. Uh, all in variations of classical guitar performance. And he's now thinking about going back for yet another either doctorate or master's. I'm not sure which uh, he wants to become a professor, but um, he, he told me finally, and he said, I'm the poster child for uh, why not everybody should go into secondary education. So I just wanted to make sure I drop <laughs> that little nugget that's, in there. That's hilarious. You gotta, um, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we'll post this up. I might even do you a favor and, and cut out a couple clips of the earlier talk and that just, you can just, just for him, you just grab right. that in there. Well, who knows? Maybe we get him on a podcast and, and talk about that in student loan debt. Yeah. Ser- hey, but, seriously. Um, you know what? That yeah. that's, that's, uh, that might be, might be the first with the most degrees I've heard of. That's <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about the idea that, that our politicians in Washington have to figure out a way to essentially get rid of student loan debt or really seriously cut into it because it it really has bankrupted or, or threatens to bankrupt an entire generation of, of folks who were essentially sold the idea that if they went to college and just incurred this debt, everything would be okay. They'd get good jobs that would pay it off. Um, and it just, to, I think it's turned out. And, and e- even if it long. does work out and this is, I, I, I'm slightly exaggerating it, so I don't I don't mean it this in an offensive way, you know, historically, but it's the modern indentured servitude. You right. know, you, you tell a kid from a working class family that this is your ticket to success yeah. and then they spend 50 percent, you know, 40 percent of their pay paying back for mm-hmm. school for the next 20 years. You know, yeah. I, I'm not saying they're not going to in the end have a better quality of life. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that you misrepresented what you're selling and that right. person there's there's no way out of it, you know, and so yeah. you you. Yeah all of a sudden you just feel like you constantly have to keep your head down, your mouth shut and keep grinding. And, and sometimes that's good, but sometimes it's not. And that should never be forced upon you. And I think sometimes we land in that because we right. say college is the only way, even if you can't mm-hmm. afford it. And yeah. um, you're, you're right. You're right. It's dangerous. I, you know, I, yeah. I would never discourage education, but mm-hmm. I would certainly encourage a, a, a full, a full knowledge of what you're getting into and understanding right. how you pay for it. Because if you don't do that, you're not making a good decision. Yeah, and I think that has to be explored, you know, at multiple levels, and then introduced to not only the students but their families, you know, at a much younger age. So you know, hey, you know, here are again, this goes back to options. What are the options? You know, how it's hard for hard for a fifteen-year-old kid to say, here's where I see myself in five, much less ten, you know, twenty years. Um, it might be impossible for them to answer the question, "Will you come? Do you want to come back here to live?" I know when I left high school, like I kind of half of me thought I can't wait to get out of here. And the other half was like petrified of going anywhere. Right. And that was a, that really kind of killed my first almost you know year and a half at UVA. But so it's not easy. You know, it's not, it's not a, Oh, there's a simple formula. And if you were just to take these alternate routes, 
instead of the ones that we have in place currently with standardized testing and getting into college and getting your degree and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not that simple, but I think you do have to look at, hey, what other options are? How, how can we, you know, get, in, get inside the heads of our kids these days and figure out what it is that interests them. I know one of your questions that we didn't really get into is what would your ideal school be? Oh yeah. Sorry. So I, I had yeah. that half checked off because we sort of got into yeah. the, the community partnership. If you, Hey, if you yeah, want right. to do that, like, I, you know, I don't want to yeah, keep I mean, you here all night, but it, you, you had it. some really cool ideas. And yeah. so I was like, yeah. I did a half a check mark. So I was like, I don't know if that's it. Like what, what would you say since you brought it yeah, up? I mean, I just, your ideal you know, I think your ideal school gets it. It gives enough individualized attention. Man, isn't that easier said than done, uh, as you would know, being a teacher. But there's enough individualized attention to the students. And maybe we have that luxury here in Clark County that, that is just not going to be possible at these bigger schools. But if you are able to give enough individualized attention to the kids and say, you know, at least you don't have to have a specific path for every single one of them. That's probably just not practical. But if you can have, again, these sort of options for groups of kids. There are always going to be a group of kids who are drawn to your arts. They're going to be a group of kids who are drawn to the sciences. You know, they're going to be the, the ones who are drawn to, you know, hands-on stuff, the shop class kids and all that kind of stuff. Right. I mean that, and that's not trying to lump them in together into something that they're not. It's not trying to force them or pigeonhole them or force a, you know, a, was the expression a round peg into a square hole or vice versa, whatever. Yeah. Square well, you know, and, but hole. with that, with that, I think one of the things is both to create the opportunities for those kids to find those places. Mm-hmm. I think it's also not to, not to get them stuck there. Like right. If, right. if it was a little easier for a kid who was the shop kid who, you know, did something cool messing around, you know, painted, painted a car panel or something. And, mm-hmm. and, and the shop teacher's like, that was pretty sweet. You should take an art class. Yeah. It would right. be really cool if that kid had a chance to still bounce over and take the art class yep. without, you know, wrecking a schedule or creating all this stress. And so sure. having both the opportunity to do that thing, specialize mm-hmm. in the thing you love, but yeah. also not feeling like you're stuck with it forever. Cause as you pointed out when you're 15, I don't know what I'm gonna do in 10 years. I might not know what right. I'm going to do tomorrow. And, right. you know, and, and that's a, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for the kid to think about. So, you know, the individualized attention piece is, is, is huge probably got to pair it with the opportunity to do something with it, you know? Um, yes. And I think that really that's just sort of philosophically without getting into, you know, some the more nuanced details philosophically, I think that's the ideal school setting is just, you know, pro- not only providing the opportunity, but the, the means to explore uh, and figure out what it is you like to do. And then, you know, to start the conversation earlier, because I do think that that has to start earlier uh, with both, you know, parents and students about, hey, this is what real life is. You know, you're going to have to make money at some point in time. Uh, it's going to be difficult to just float through. So you need to put some some serious thought and even, you know, collaborative counseling together, you know, with maybe local professionals, uh, what have you say, you know, here's where I was. If they can hear from, you know, other community members, people who they might look up to, people who their parents, you know, are friends with, uh, et cetera, here's my experience uh, you know, this is what I learned because uh, I'd be happy to tell, you know, kids, I had no idea what I wanted to major in when I got into college, not a clue. Uh, and this is a story for another day, but Clark County was international baccalaureate back at those days. And they sold that to us as, hey, you you graduate with the full diploma, full IB diploma. You won't have to worry about basically your first year of college. You'll be good to go and basically fall into your major. Not true. Turned out that one teacher at Clark County at that day and age was higher level IB certified. The others were not. I got credit for one class 
English 234. I had to take all the math and science that I was told for really for two, two plus years of the IB curriculum. You won't you just pass these classes right now and you won't have to take them when you get to college. I was devastated that I had to take financial math 101 and you know <laughs> biology. I just, you know, I mean, I it's, was, it's I, not a bad program, but if you're not, if you're not <laughs> running it, you know, right. in that way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's and, and maybe that worked out for for some of my other you know classmates who got the full diploma. It may have been peculiar to UVA. I don't know. I've never really had that conversation with them. But man, that was a major bummer for me uh, to find out that nope, uh, you get credit for you know three credits, one class, uh, and you have to take all of the core curriculum here at college. You cannot go into whatever it is that you thought you wanted to go into. Which, in fairness. I still didn't know, but yeah. I was looking forward to exploring things beyond having to take, you know, your basic curriculum, which I really struggled with because I could not have been more tuned out to some of those uh, certain fields like the math and science yeah. stuff at, at that point in time. <laughs> so the conversation for a different day. But yeah, I mean, you know, ideal schooling, obviously easier said than done. I don't it's going to take a major sea change to get there. But I think that, you know, we are we are fortunately positioned in such a small community where we might be able to have those conversations sooner rather than later, where we might be able to get it going on a, at least a, you know, temporary try it out scale sooner rather than later. And that's encouraging. Uh, You and I have the luxury of having our kids, you know, a a good solid decade away from, from the kind of timeframes, the formative timeframes I think we're talking about, but man, wouldn't it be great to have some of those options and opportunities for our kids? I'd love to see that happen. Um, I'm happy to, you know, work with the school board, have those conversations with the folks who, who are where the rubber meets the road with our educators and, and with our community members and see, hey, is there a way that we can make this happen? Because I know there's interest here. And believe me, I support it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, you know, I, I always say I, I could have, I don't, this isn't literally true, but I'm like, I could have moved anywhere and I chose to move here. So that's mm-hmm. any time, anytime I run into, you know, say, say you, somebody made, a, born, you made a wise choice. So, well, anytime I, you know, get into this with somebody, you know, the born and bred Clark County boys, like, well, you know, right. I, I, I grew up here. I'm like, yeah, well, but you know, you chose not to leave and that's easy to do. Right. I chose to come here and that's a little bit harder. So yeah. you, you, you don't get to write me off that fast. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, no, coming, I, coming back was an easy, you know, coming back was an easy choice for me. Uh, particularly, you know, when I went to not only my UVA experience, which, you know, became tolerable and even enjoyable for me at the end of it. Um, then I found myself wandering around Europe for a little bit and realizing that now, you know, good old open spaces of, uh, you know, Clark County are for me. And so I came back here and then going off to law school and bouncing around the Northern Virginia areas, I commuted into DC from places like Herndon uh, and Falls Church, you know, I could not, excuse me, could not wait to get back out here. So, and that was just a function of figuring out how I could, you know, save up enough money to move in somewhere other than my parents' house. Not that they didn't put me up, or I should say my mom's house. My dad lives in Arlington, but, you know, somewhere other than my mom's house. And she did, you know, out of the kindness of her heart, put me up for a little bit. But, um, you know, fortunately, we were able to save jointly uh, between Kelby and I, save up enough money to get back out here. uh, And, you know, we're here to stay. So. Um, there you have it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you're making the most of it. So, 
Um, all right. So before we cut out, let's let's get yes. these books or movies. Because yep. no, no, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the ideal school thing. Because I literally I was like, do I ask? Because we just talked about the school. Nah, I'll yeah. let it ride. But I'm I'm glad yeah. we did that because that that is important. That's that's sort of the most important question that I ask people. So I'm glad you brought that back yeah. up. Um, so all right. So what do you want people to read or watch? And and sure. we'll, we'll check out and be done here. Well, I mean, uh, as I told you before we started talking, this probably comes as no surprise from somebody with a, a background and obvious interest in history, anthropology, archaeology, that kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm a historical fiction guy pretty much, pretty much across the board, almost embarrassingly so, I've got to say, because um, somebody just the other night, uh, as a matter of fact, another neighbor who, had moved, who just moved here in the last, I don't know, call it six or seven years, uh, his name's also Ryan. Uh, he came from Loudoun County. Somehow we got on the topic of, of movies and he's like, all right, well, you know, name your top five. Kind of, you know, common theme sometimes in certain conversations. Uh, so my unequivocal number one is Last of the Mohicans, French and Indian War. Nice. Um, I, that was the first soundtrack. It was actually the first music that I ever bought. The music was, was great. It was part of what drove me to it. Uh, I'm a musician in, in various aspects as well. So I've always been big into music. And I bought that thing on cassette tape, Last Mohican soundtrack back in the day. Who knows what year that was? Early 90s would be my best guess. And I should know when it came out, of course, but I uh, can't, can't stretch <laughs> yeah, quite back that far. So somewhere in the early 90s. But uh, so Last Mohicans, and then in, in no particular order after that, you'll have movies like Gladiator, you know, Ancient Rome. Uh, you'll have uh, Braveheart tombstone the the classic you know sort of more modern western and then i branch off into into sci-fi and, and fantasy so i've got like the original if you want to call it like a movie you can't really call it a movie but like this original star wars trilogy like that's that's movies those are movies that i can watch time and time again it doesn't matter when they're on or in what stage they're on and i've already started to get sadie into it and i think my mom said that's a little too violent for her don't you think and i said no really <laughs> um, <laughs> say so kids grow up so quickly these days that's right um but yeah i've got my you know the sci-fi type stuff you know I, lord of the rings is probably i used to endeavor to read lord of the rings once per year and and the irony of it is in my you know wonderful education at uva i actually took a class on lord of the rings and that was like one of the one years that i didn't read the books i'd read them so many times that i figured I don't really need to read. This I, I got other. I got other stuff to do. I can do this. But you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's funny is if, if when you compare the books to the movies, that it's one of the downfalls of the movies is it takes as long to watch the movies it does to read the book. So I always <laughs> say when somebody talks about the movies, I'm like, just read the book, and they say, why? I'm like, have, do you see how long that movie is? Like, Come on. Yeah, and 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 you know, I, that's a that's definitely a conversation for another day. Is is comparing the books, the books, Lord of the Rings, to the movies, but. Um, some more recent books and not that I'll be the first to admit that you do so much reading during law school. And I mean, so much, I, you know, you, you read in between classes, you read before class, you read after class, you read late into the hours, you read, 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 read. That's all you do. You read, you take notes on what you read and then you reread the notes and then you type them up then you reread those, um, that it took me quite some time to start sitting back down with novels or, or, you know, whatever type of book book. 
uh, as opposed to just perusing through trash magazines and stuff like that. Teaching English um, has ruined me for reading because almost <laughs> all of my reading is for work. I'm reading something I'm going to teach or I'm reading yep. students writing. The the one redeeming value of a long commute into Ashburn from here, 45 mm-hmm. minutes in the car is audible. You know, so oh, I was yeah. tearing, tearing yeah. through audiobooks. It was great. And then the pandemic hit. And I'm like, awesome. I'm saving an hour and a half a day, not in the car. Right. And I think I've I think I've read or listened to like three books in the last like eight months or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> it just that was my time to do it, you know. And so, but yeah, I, I completely understand. If you have a job or schooling that requires a lot of reading, yeah. it starts yeah. it starts to be really hard to treat that as something that you want to do in your free time. That's tough, right? And, and I mean, my you know, practicing as attorney, it, it, it's less reading, but it's still reading. Um, it's reading. Med- I read a lot of medical. I'm a personal injury attorney, so I le- read a lot of medical records, little of which I understand, but which I have to read through, uh, and then summarize in my layman own layman's fashion. You know, I, obviously, I read cases and stuff like that. Read the legal news, um, but I, I also fall into the sort of historical fiction uh, with with sort of pleasure reading, as it were. Um, I recently read a, a novel by the, or I guess it's not a novel, it's a historical, basically, it, it's not, I guess it's a historical novel, I guess is what it's called. You probably know better than I would. It's called Empire of the Summer Moon. And it's about a chief named Quanah Parker of the Comanche tribe back in the Old West. And I'm obviously a big fan of, of Native Americans in that period of, of time, as, as Last Mohicans might, might tell you. Uh, but I didn't know much about this particular era, uh, and, and it was really fascinating. And the writer was a, an author by the name, historian by the name of S.C. Gwynn, uh, and he writes in a very uh, accessible manner, much more accessible than the sort of regular old history books that you might think you'd read. Uh, it reads like a sort of fast-paced action novel, uh, so to speak. And I'm uh, in the middle of a, a biography of Stonewall Jackson at the moment uh, right now, and you might say, why? Uh, and the answer is that, uh, as you may know, the statue, Confederate statue in the uh, here has is, is become an issue. And there was a time when I used to be a big old Civil War buff uh, and used to go to battlefields as a kid and dress up and have the toy muskets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I wanted to sort of remind myself of what I used to know about that historical period particularly as it pertained to folks from this area. And so uh, by luck uh, and chance, a family member said, hey, well, you ought to read this you know, biography who happens to be by the same guy, the same historian, S.C. Gwynn, called Rebel Yell about Stonewall Jackson. And sure enough, uh, it speaks to a lot of the experiences of uh, folks in the Shenandoah Valley because Jackson operated uh, a lot in the Shenandoah Valley and the place names, Battle of Winchester, Harper's Ferry, uh, you know, going down to Harrisonburg and, uh, you know, Mount Jackson, all that kind of stuff. These are like right, right in our living history era. Uh, and uh, this guy is, is uh, can weave in the tales of, uh, you know, guys on the ground, the, the people who lived in, in places like Clark County during that time, their experiences, you know, in what was uh, a very tumultuous time. And certainly we're going through a tumultuous time as a country right now. So I found it relevant and very informative and i'm looking forward to finishing that as well so 
that's what I would recommend by way of, of I, reading I, that, and watching movies. That's an awesome list. I mean, you got yeah, it's 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 bangers the whole way through. Like that's, that's solid <laughs> movies. Uh, yeah. I I actually own. I think it's the audio book. I don't remember if I bought the book. I think I got the audio book for Empire of the Summer uh, of the Summer Moon. I haven't listened yeah. to it yet, but I've yeah. I've it was recommended to me like three or four times by different people, all right. of whom I thought were people I, I might take the recommendation from. And once you hear it, a yep. few times, I'm like, all right, fine, I'll get it. Eventually I'll yep. get to it. So I've heard good things about that one. My, I think my uncle, my uncle's a, a priest and in his free time, he's a huge civil war buff. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure last time he visited uh, a few months ago, he was like doing research and, and touring battlefields. And I think he yep. was actually talking, I, I'm not positive it was the same book, but he just read something about Stonewall Jackson as well. Mm-hmm. And so it might've yep. been the same one. Um, yeah. So that's good. That's awesome. So that awesome list. All right, so I we covered a ton of ground here. We got community, we got schools, yep. we got personal background, we got some good recommendations. Is there anything I, I don't know that there is, but is there anything that you feel like we missed or that you want to clarify before we wrap this thing up? Well, I, I think that we ought to do this again um, because I think we touched on. I didn't even get to tell you how law school really doesn't prepare you for the practice of law. So <laughs> um, maybe we'll get my brother on here to talk about uh, how all of his education didn't prepare him to make any money in the real world. Not you know, weave in how going to law school teaches you how to think like a lawyer, but not how to practice like one. You know what? Uh, you know what? That could be good. I got a guy. I don't I don't know if we're, if he's going to agree to do this, but I, I contact him at random. He just published a book. Um, I forget. It's it's think like a lawyer or, or argue like a lawyer. He wrote an mm-hmm. education book about how to improve the quality of critical thinking skills in, in like high school kids by essentially right. setting them up to do, you know, thought experiments and arguments like mm-hmm. a lawyer. And I was yeah. like, I was like, dude, I was like, I already do that in my class. Like, I, I don't know mm-hmm. the guy at all. I just sent him a completely random email like, hey, hey, let's let's do this, because I think yeah. that would be a cool thing to, to talk about because it's good for your brain, whether or not you're going to be the lawyer. So, you know, like right. I said, it, set, it sets you up to think like a lawyer, but thinking like a lawyer maybe is not your everyday existence. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think probably what he's getting at is like the Socratic method, which is probably a, a topic for, totally for another time. Um, but, you know, the, the engaging process of law school is something unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. Uh, I mean, even in college at UVA, you're just sitting around in a seminar and half the kids there don't care. And, uh, you know, the other half are really into it. And, and, and there's some very wild and stimulating conversations that happen between about half the class. Uh, and that's yeah. it, at least in the anthropology stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you know, then you hit law school and they, somebody can put you in the hot seat. Well, and whether you're ready or not, you, you get to sit. Forced, you know? forced to be engaged. Yeah. Uh, you have no choice but to be engaged or you will be made to look the fool. Uh, and, and of course, you're going to have your uh, advocates and detractors for that method. But man, it teaches you to prepare. It teaches you to think quickly, to respond and talk on your feet. And all of those are, are you know, admirable traits in, in some respect. But as we've said, you know, throughout this whole thing, it's not for everybody. It's going re- to turn some folks off even more, uh, you know, to the idea of education but I, you know, that that is a, a teaching method that I am not going to rule out as perhaps being uh, something that should be introduced at an earlier age because it might help kids learn whether you know this is for them, whether going in further in academics is for them versus uh, trying to pursue some other type of path. So, you know, perhaps that is, is could lead us down uh, the the path to exploration of our young people's minds, which is man, harder and harder to get into these days as they experience a world that we just did not. And perhaps that can be said of 
many generations, you know, throughout the years, but it's never, I think, more true than it is today. Yeah. Um, so talk see, about a conversation see, for a different see, day. See, <laughs> see change in, see change in technology. Uh, yeah. It, it's yeah. kids, kids in high school today have a different daily experience than anybody before them. And the last yes. time you got to say that was people growing up in like the, you know, the lost generation, you know, born around yeah. 1900, give or take is right. all of a sudden, all of a sudden right. I have a car, I have a telephone, I have all these things. Like those kids dealt with stuff that their parents didn't know how to, they didn't have advice because they never lived through it. And right. you haven't really had that in any meaningful way until, until pretty recently again. Yeah. And before yeah. that, it was a few hundred years before you can go back and find it again. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky thing, but as you said, that that's one, that's, that's an episode into it, yeah. you know, onto its own. So, yeah. all right. So Matt, we're gonna wrap this thing up. I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to talk. We got a lot of good ideas about community education, uh, a lot of stuff here really. And so again, so this has been episode 44 of the class cast podcast. We're talking with Matt Bass, who's a candidate for the Clark County board of supervisors. And if you want more information about Matt or uh, his platform, where can they find you maybe online or website, something like that? Sure. My website is www.facebook.com slash bass four, number four board. Uh, that's where you can find me. And, and because uh, this is Clark County and you can do this here. And because I just sent out a blast of a thousand letters that has my personal cell phone on it. My phone number is five, four, zero, five, three, five, five, four, two, five. I encourage anybody with any further questions or wants to continue the conversation about education, what that means about what my goals are for serving on the Clark County board of supervisors uh, to just give me a holler because we are fortunate enough to live in a community where that is totally okay to do so. Uh, Ryan, it. thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Love it. All right. Well, good luck in this election. And if anybody has any questions, obviously you can contact the man directly, or you can always reach out to me through uh, ClassCast Podcast is the tag on Facebook, on Instagram, and ClassCast Pod on Twitter, as well as ClassCastPodcast.com. Matt, thanks again. Everybody have a good day. <laughs>